Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture by the spectator world. My name is Matt Purple, and I'm joined by Amber Athey. And today we're going to be talking about the biggest story in the news here in America, and that is the raid on Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago home. This happened a couple days ago. It really shocked the nation when it came forward. Nothing like this has ever happened to a a former president before. The ostensible reason that the FBI gave for searching the home was that they were looking for documents that the National Archives had requested back that Trump had allegedly taken with him after he left the White House. There's been a lot of back and forth ever since that occurred between Trump and and, and the government as to what exactly is going on here. There's also the ongoing question of who knew. Did this go all the way up to Merrick Garland, the attorney general? What is the motivation here? What's happening? And meanwhile, the the relentless attempt to investigate Trump continues. Uh, Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, Uh, is going to be holding a deposition where former President Donald Trump, as well as one of his sons, will testify. She's believed to be winding down her investigation into some of his business deals, but it's still another ongoing probe into the conduct of, let's remember, not a presidential candidate, not a current president, a former president. Somehow this is still all over the news. Somehow this is still all going on. It really does raise a question, doesn't it, Amber, of, of motive. Why is there just this continued barrage of investigatory energy into Donald Trump. Exactly right. And the reason why people were so skeptical of the impetus for the FBI raid in the first place is because they have a history using false or exaggerated information in order to try to get at Trump. During the infamous Russian collusion investigation, the FBI had used false materials to obtain FISA warrants to spy on former Trump campaign official Carter Page. They had relied heavily on the Steele dossier, which has now been debunked and even believed to be Russian disinformation. So they were using Russian propaganda to try to spy on an American citizen who was running for political office. So when you fast forward six years, and in the meantime, you've had the claims that Trump was going to be taken out by Michael Avenatti over campaign finance violations. You've had these ongoing investigations by both the New York Attorney General's office as well as the Manhattan District Attorney. And you have the January 6th committee, which uh, still has yet to bring forth any information that could lead to criminal charges against the former president. So the context absolutely matters here. And when we're discussing the, the idea of declining trust in institutions in the United States, our storied institutions, these are the type of things that lead to that decline in trust. It, it We've entered this strange, almost Weimar-like period where the thing to do is to not just not vote for your political opponents, but to try to get them locked up, to try to get them taken out in one way or another. And it's it's scary. I mean, that level of just intense hatred is scary. Uh, if you don't like Donald Trump, then oppose his nomination. If you still don't like him, then don't vote for him for the presidency. We, we've just hurled ourselves into this new territory where somehow that's not enough. Your vote is not enough. It, it has to go even farther. I want to delve a little bit deeper into the Mar-a-Lago raid because there's a good, actually a very good piece in the Washington Post this morning which tries to, uh, which asks the question, what exactly happened? And uh, they have a source that informs them of the following. So this all began back in February when Trump willingly returned 15 boxes of documents. Right, The National Archives asked for them. There was a bit of negotiation, but then he, he willingly returned them. The FBI then showed up in April and in May of this year multiple times uh, to talk to Trump's lawyers, to, to visit Mar-a-Lago. There was a sit-down in June 
when they looked over a storage space and they later emailed and said, we think that you should have a padlock on that, that storage space, I think on the safe itself where the documents, some documents were being kept. Trump agreed that the padlock was installed. And uh, then all of a sudden we have this raid where the FBI comes in, they break the padlock that they had asked Trump to install. They seize the documents which they knew were there and which seemingly they didn't have a problem with and they make off with them. And meanwhile, there's armed agents standing outside, you know, toting very large guns. Uh, this, this does not make the FBI look good, and all the more so because it's coming from a mainstream legacy newspaper. This is not the Washington Examiner or Fox News who's saying this, and it seems to be fairly well-sourced. That, that unless they discovered something very incriminating in the meantime that really does amount to probable cause... I, this doesn't make sense. I can't imagine why this raid was carried out for any other reason other than political expediency. There were two unnecessary escalations and provocations in this saga about the documents. The first was the National Archives even referring this to the Department of Justice because this that move in itself was unprecedented. There have been numerous times throughout history where American presidents took items or documents from the White House when they left office. And what typically would happen is there was a negotiation period where they would discuss with the National Archives what needed to be returned, what they wanted to keep, what had been declassified, what was still classified, and everyone went along their merry way. That was actually what happened when Bill Clinton took furniture from the White House and ended up returning some of it. They, they actually said that it was you know a mistake, a misunderstanding. So the National Archives gets these 15 boxes back, but apparently is still dissatisfied and decides that Trump needs to be referred to the Department of Justice. And the DOJ and the FBI, instead of saying, you know, figure it out amongst yourselves, uh, they actually got involved, continued the negotiation process with federal agents, and apparently were still dissatisfied and decided to embark on this raid. So these were two escalations that were so out of the ordinary for a situation like this. And I would urge people to go follow Ari Fleischer on Twitter. He is the former press secretary for George W. Bush. He obviously would be well aware of how these things work, and he's not a Trump crony by any means. And he's been pretty horrified by the way that this process has played out. So the only other reason I can think of why this raid occurred is... One, that they want to get him under the Presidential Records Act, which would, again, be unprecedented. No, I don't think any you know, former official has actually been convicted or found to have violated that act, at least intentionally. And then two, if the FBI goes into Mar-a-Lago and has this search warrant, anything that they stumble upon in the course of their investigation, which was reported to take, I guess, about 12 hours could be used in other criminal cases. So if they find something related to January 6th or related to the alleged tax fraud being investigated in New York, those items can then be used to further those investigations as well. So this is probably part political intimidation and part fishing expedition. Yeah, and it shows how an unelected branch of government has become autonomous in its own sense, or is at least 
carrying out or at least winking at the elected branch of government to go after their opponents. It, it, it's, it reeks whatever way you slice it. You mentioned the Presidential Records Act. We should point out that's probably not even constitutional, right? It says that if you are if you make off with records that you shouldn't have, documents you shouldn't have, then you're disqualified from running for president. Well, the Constitution has its own set of criteria. You can't just amend that via statute. You actually have to amend the Constitution itself. So most likely, if this were to, if, if anybody were to try to disqualify Trump under this, there'd be a big legal battle. It might take some time, but it's quite likely that the lawsuit would be stayed in the meantime. Trump could still run. So this is a real Hail Mary, a real gambit, whatever way you look at it. But I want to go back to the Clintons, who you mentioned for just a second. And I've kind of gotten tired of, you know, but the Clintons, but, but the Clintons, right? Like the Clintons... What the Clintons did, and I wrote about this yesterday back in 1999, and pardon me, back in 2000 and 2001, was embarked on about a year-long moving operation where they took hundreds of thousands of dollars of furniture, silverware, mementos, souvenirs, presidential seals, all manner of stuff out of the White House. And when they were called out on it later, they tried to claim, well, our our donors had given this stuff to us. And then the donors came in and they said, actually, we gave this to the White House, not to you. This was meant for, you know, the United States of America, not your college fund. And so the Clintons ended up returning, I think, $28,000 worth of it. And they ended up paying for tens of thousands of dollars more. But this was this was, I mean, almost like a, a heist, right? It was almost like a stealing operation. And the extent of the, the goods that they took was almost unbelievable. But still, there was, there was no raid on Chappaqua, as Trump pointed out after the raid on Mar-a-Lago occurred. And he's absolutely right about that. There was no action that was taken against the Clintons, uh, similar to what's going on here. And this isn't silverware, right? This isn't... Uh, you you trash the hotel and you made away with half the stuff in the room. These are documents that they're having a perfectly understandable dispute about, that they're going back and forth about. And it seemed like they were reaching a consensus. Again, Trump returned a lot of the documents. It also seemed like he was negotiating in good faith. He had them over multiple times. He put the padlock on the door. What is happening here, right? How is what is what is this double standard where Trump is just put under this incredible microscope and anything against him goes? I think it's a very dark sign for our politics. Absolutely. And, you know, the Clinton furniture saga is not the only case where this happened. Of course, the Hillary Clinton private server, but also a Clinton aide, Sandy Berger, was busted by an archives employee for stuffing documents. Yes down uh, his pants. It was handwritten notes or something, and then he took the documents and cut them up. And yeah, I forgot Sandy about that. Burgers, yeah, Sandy Berger's home was never raided. I think that was in 2004, 2003 or 2004. And then another aspect of the story that I think is interesting is if you go back to February when the 15 boxes were first returned to the National Archives, one of the reasons the National Archives referred this to the DOJ was not just because they were dissatisfied with what had been returned to them, but they claimed that there was enough classified material in these 15 boxes that this was basically considered a reckless mishandling of the information. But at the time, Kash Patel, who is a attorney and a Trump aide, claimed in an interview that the president had actually declassified everything in those boxes before leaving office. So there's a dispute there as well as to whether or not these documents were 
even supposed to be returned to the archives or whether they were considered sensitive information and whether the process for declassification had been carried out in full. If that's the case, that Trump had actually declassified all this information before he took it with him to Mar-a-Lago, then this entire investigation is moot. Yeah, and, and I want to make clear too, I'm not some instinctive Trump defender. I mean, I, you know, we might have a disagreement about this, Amber. I think his conduct on January 6th was indefensible. I'm, I'm not going to put my neck on the line over that. But it, I just don't understand how anybody defends this. And I think that's why you see uh, Brian Stelter, for example, who is the definition of a toady, coming out and sending a tweet this morning saying that the FBI needs to provide some answers. And, you know, it's the first time I've agreed with Brian Stelter in a very long time, but he's right about that. And again, I understand they're dealing with classified documents. I understand that I, as an American, don't necessarily have the right to know what's going on in a law enforcement investigation. But uh, Donald Trump, in in the two presidential elections where he ran, has been uh, tens of millions of Americans have voted for him. He's not just any individual anymore. He's a public trust. And a lot of people have invested a lot of money and a lot of time and energy in his candidacies and in supporting him and also in opposing him, too. It's kind of the same thing. So they do owe an explanation, right? And, And they would, too, if they were just abusing their power, if it were just some average Joe up the road. I'm not trying to make it sound like somehow Trump is this grand exception, like we elevate our presidents and we hold them above the law. Not at all. I'm just saying that the FBI knew when they went in that this was going to be the biggest news story for the week, for the month. They also knew going in that this had never happened before in American history to a former president. I'm sorry, but you do you do owe an explanation. You don't just get to clam up and say, sorry, this is investigator's privilege. That, that can't be how this works. And then we get to this question of how high up this goes. And I know there's a little bit of dispute over this, and obviously Twitter is, is going to assume guilt before anything is proven. But do you think, Amber, that this went all the way up to Merrick Garland? I mean, I don't see how it couldn't have. It would be pretty unbelievable to me that this didn't go to the highest levels of the Department of Justice. And I also would find it surprising if, as Karine Jean-Pierre claimed, that this didn't make its way to the White House as well. Not that the White House would have been involved in the investigation, but that they would have received a heads up to know that this type of news story was coming down the line. When you go back to Friday... FBI Director Christopher Wray was actually testifying to a group of uh, Republicans, I believe, on Capitol Hill. And he was supposed to stay there for about 20 more minutes to let the Congress people finish their questions, but insisted he had to leave early because he wanted to catch a plane for a vacation that he was going on with his family. So he presumably knew that on Monday night, his team of agents was going to swarm the home of a former president, and yet he couldn't even stay for additional questions because he had to jet off to his vacation, which was very weird. And then on the question of whether or not Joe Biden knew, we can't really take uh, Karine Jean-Pierre's claims at face value because Biden has a history of misremembering or lying, maybe, about his involvement in various DOJ matters. Back when he was in the White House as vice president to Obama, He claimed that he didn't know anything about the investigation into Michael Flynn, who was Trump's national security advisor. And it turned out that he actually was sitting in on a meeting with the FBI when they announced their intentions to go after this guy. And he has stuck his finger on the scale multiple times. He urged the FBI to go hard on the January 6th protesters. He uh, encouraged the 
DOJ, FBI to go after the school board parents. And he also promised a certain outcome in the investigation of the Border Patrol agents who were accused of whipping Haitian migrants down at the southern border. So he has a history of doing this kind of thing. We can't really trust her word. And then on the Merrick Garland question, uh, would it be surprising that Merrick Garland, who was heralded as a so-called moderate when he was being uh, chosen for the Supreme Court, would be involved in something like this and not really think through the ramifications for our republic. I don't think it's all that surprising when you look at what he's done at the DOJ so far. Again, investigating parents who were protesting passionately at school board meetings, refusing to uh, tamp down the protest outside of the SCOTUS justices' homes after that leaked document overturning Roe v. Wade was released. Those protests were illegal. He did nothing. Uh, Even after someone attempted to assassinate multiple SCOTUS justices. So this is not a guy who is just some, you know, unbiased arbiter of the law, right? This is a guy who is just as political as anybody else in the Biden administration. Yeah, so far as Biden goes, he he came out flailing, saying he had no, the White House leaked immediately after the raid. They had no idea this was going to happen. They were blindsided by it. Even if that's true, this is the most easily surprised and seemingly feckless president that I can... Right. I mean, Nancy Pelosi goes to Taiwan. Oh, I don't know about that. It's caught me by surprise. Uh, the Mar-a-Lago raid happened. Oh, I, I had no idea. I can't. Dude, you're the most powerful guy in the world. There has to be some. You can't keep your party's own house speaker from going to Taiwan. You can't. You know, you, you have no idea what your own attorney general is up to. It. He may be that feckless. I don't know. But it, it does beggar belief. And it certainly invites further question. Uh, as for Merrick Garland, I always try to keep in mind whenever I'm writing about political figures that they're all humans at the end of the day and they're driven by deeply human motivations, right? And they get jealous and angry and annoyed just like the rest of us do. I don't think it's anywhere outside the realm of possibility that Merrick Garland is bitter and resentful about the fact that he is not on the Supreme Court right now. And I say that because if the shoe. If I was in his position uh, back in 2020, I would be bitter and resentful that I wasn't on the Supreme Court right now. I don't even fault him for that. It, you know, he kind of had the rug pulled out from under him. I'm glad he did, given the the Dobbs ruling that came down. It's a good thing that Merrick Garland isn't on the Supreme Court. But from a personal point of view, I get it. And is it possible that that's motivating the way that he's going after these? teacher, you know, these anti-school protests or these um, anti-critical race theory protests, is it possible it's motivating what he did here with Trump with regard to Mar-a-Lago? Yeah, I I certainly think it's possible. It feels like something out of a banana republic. Yeah, it's not good, but it's understandable at the same time. And and I I agree with you. I just don't think at this point, I I don't have any confidence in him to objectively enforce the law. Yeah. And I think, you know, people often run into this mistake of viewing these institutions as sort of amorphous blobs that are capable of governing themselves. But at the end of the day, it's all people, right? These are made up of people who are deeply infallible, probably stupid. And in the, in the sense of, uh, or in the vein of the careerists, can't really be fired. So you have a bunch of, you know, incompetent losers in a lot of these institutions. So we put these things on a pedestal and don't realize the reality behind them, which is these are flawed, infallible, biased human beings making decisions at the end of the day. And unfortunately, there aren't a whole lot of safeguards to prevent this type of rampant abuse. And one other thing I want to mention on this raid that I thought was pretty interesting was 
the uh, the judge who signed off on the search warrant used to work for Jeffrey Epstein, which yeah. is sort of just like a nice QAnon twist on the whole story, right? Um, <laughs> the judge's name is Bruce Reinhardt, and he was elevated to the magistrate judge position in Southern Florida back in 2018. But before that, he had actually left the U.S. Attorney's Office to represent some of Jeffrey Epstein's employees and was accused of actually having knowledge of the criminal investigation into Jeffrey Epstein that he could have used to help protect him when he went to work for him. So another supposedly equally corrupt individual involved in this whole saga, and it just almost feels like, of course, of course, this is another part of this, uh, this raid. It's uh, by the way, I said Merrick Garland was nominated in 2020. He was actually nominated in 2016. So my bad on that. But yeah, it's it's this weird connection where somebody said uh, when the Jeffrey Epstein story came out, somebody I don't remember who it was, but he said, this is why people believed in Pizzagate, right? If you keep validating the conspiracy theory, then more and more people are going to believe in it. And yeah, I, I agree with you. Very curious that this is the judge in this case. Thank you for listening to this episode of The District. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com.